Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. Look, I'm creating a new heaven and a new earth. Past events won't be remembered. They won't come to mind. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I'm creating because I'm creating Jerusalem as a joy and her people as a source of gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad about my people. No one will ever hear the sound of weeping or crying in it again. No more will babies live only a few days or the old fail to live out their days. The one who dies at a hundred will be like a young person and the one falling short of a hundred will seem cursed. They will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They won't build for others to live in, nor plant for others to eat. Like the days of a tree will be the days of my people. My chosen will make full use of their handiwork. They won't labor in vain, nor bear children to a world of horrors because they will be people blessed by the Lord, they along with their descendants. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. Wolf and lamb will graze together, and the lions will eat straw like the ox. But the snake, its food will be dust. They won't hurt or destroy, at any place on my holy mountain, says the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Author of life, we thank you for your word, and we ask this morning that your spirit be with us as we reflect upon what you have said, so that we might be transformed in heart, mind, and soul. Amen. So as we draw near to Advent, we're spending some time with the scriptures that shaped the world that Jesus was born into. This week, we are looking at the prophet whose writings are more influential on Jesus' ministry than any other. According to the gospel accounts of the teaching of Jesus, Isaiah was the primary prophetic reference point. In fact, the only books from the Hebrew Bible that Jesus relies on more often than Isaiah are Deuteronomy and the Psalms. To put it quite simply, we can't really understand what Jesus is teaching unless we have at least some working knowledge of Isaiah. When in a few weeks we hear John the Baptist proclaiming the coming of the kingdom, he will rely on the words of Isaiah to make his point. When Jesus' ministry begins in Matthew, it's done so according to the words of Isaiah chapter 9. The Gospel of Mark begins by proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah who is proclaimed in Isaiah chapter 40. When Jesus announces the beginning of his ministry in Luke, he draws on Isaiah chapter 61. The tradition of Jesus is clearly inseparable from the tradition of Isaiah. Which brings us to our reading today from Isaiah 65. 
The traditional reading of the book of Isaiah would be that the entire book was written by the prophet himself. But the broader consensus among theologians today is that the first 39 chapters of Isaiah were probably written by or in the time of the prophet, while the rest of the book was written by disciples of Isaiah. This doesn't mean that chapters 40 through 66 are any less valid. In fact, we're enriched by having a better understanding of how the Isaiah tradition grew from the ministry of one man. We see that when John the Baptist or Jesus align themselves with Isaiah, they are aligning themselves with an entire school of thought within the larger Jewish tradition. And within that tradition of Isaiah, we find today's passage proclaiming the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. For only being eight verses long, there are a whole lot of threads that we could chase down in today's readings. Honestly, we could do an entire sermon series unpacking this single passage of Isaiah. In verse 21, we see the prophets touch on issues of health care and the well-being of the person when they declare an end to infant mortality and the normalization of exceedingly long lives. In verses 21 and 22, they touch on the justice that will be experienced by laborers who are freed from the exploitation of their work. In those same verses, the prophets declare an end to homelessness. In verses 23 through 25, we're given a vision for what a truly peaceful world will look like. Children will be born into a world free of suffering. Predators and prey will be as one, no longer existing in a state of violence. There shall be no pain or destruction in God's holy kingdom. And any one of these tangents would serve as a rich source for a sermon. But today, I want to focus on the act of creation that brings all of this into being. So before any of these utopian images can come into being, there is a pronouncement of creation. I am about to create new heavens and a new earth, declares the Lord. I imagine that many of us who've been around Christianity have heard these words referenced before. And if you're like me, you've probably heard them referenced in connection with a vision of a new creation where everything that now exists gets wiped away and something entirely new is brought in to replace it. And again, if you're like me, this image of the slate being wiped clean is probably connected to some undetermined point in the future, but probably not any time that we'll see. It's sort of an open-ended image of apocalyptic destruction and recreation. This is a perversive interpretation a pervasive interpretation of the new heaven and the new earth. And it's the sort of interpretation that robs us of any agency in relationship to the rest of creation. I've heard people use this sort of reading to justify widespread ecological destruction because God's just going to reboot everything in the future. After all, why would it matter how we treat our planet if our planet isn't going to last anyways? But as we're about to see, this sort of interpretation doesn't really match with the words that the prophets actually employ in this passage, 
nor with the broader Jewish and Christian tradition. So let's begin with what is actually said in this passage. My Hebrew Bible professor, Paul Kim, specializes in the text of Isaiah, and this is part of what he has to say about this passage in his commentary. He writes, Here the word to create occurs three times, all in the active participial form in verses 17 to 18, signifying its urgent imminence. He then briefly unpacks the rest of the passage before continuing on to state, thus the previous vision of the paradisical world is about to arrive soon. In other words, when God says that I am about to create, it literally means that this new heaven and new earth is happening soon. This isn't something that we can look forward to at some undetermined point. This is something that we need to be on the lookout for right now. This reading is supported by the commentary on Isaiah by Edward J. Young, who notes that the word being used in the act of creation is the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 1 when it reads, In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. This added insight that the new heavens and new earth are about to be made in the same way as the original creation story reveals to us the nature of this new heaven and this new earth. When God made the heavens and the earth in the story of Genesis, it was a sculpting of what was already there. The earth was a formless void and God shaped it into the world in which we live. Meaning that the new heavens and the new earth will be shaped from this earth and these heavens which we now inhabit. So when will we experience the new heavens and the new earth? Soon and very soon. And what will the new heavens and the new earth consist of? The current heavens and earth transformed. And we see these realities in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection when Jesus began to preach the good news in Galilee, he wandered the countryside, proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning it's soon upon us. His was not a vision of an undetermined future. His was a vision of here and now. He often warned that the kingdom, also known as the fulfillment of the new heavens and the new earth, was going to be upon us sooner than we thought that it would come like a thief in the night, that it would come at an unexpected hour, that if we weren't paying attention, we wouldn't even notice it happening all around us. And in Jesus' death and resurrection, we once again witness the power of the new creation. Jesus' body was not wiped away and an entirely new thing put in its place. When his disciples doubted his resurrection, he could show them the scars of his previous life as proof that he was brought back as something entirely new and yet something entirely familiar all at the same time. Jesus experienced the new birth of resurrection as a powerful witness of the resurrection that the prophets proclaim through the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. Not something ethereal and distant, something real and present. So what does that mean for us? 
How does this vision of a new heaven and a new earth impact our lives today? We are living in the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus Christ has ushered in the new creation. The kingdom is at hand. We only have to open our eyes and realize that the kingdom is already upon us. We have the power to work with God, to participate in the vision of a new reality, to be co-creators with God. Last week, God promised through Haggai that the best is still coming. And this week, God promises through Isaiah that we get to be a part of that becoming. It's not often that we have such a clear opportunity to align ourselves as either working with God or against God as we do in the realm of creation care. Our United Methodist bishops have released a few different documents on creation care over the last several decades. In 1984, with the specter of nuclear war hanging over the world, the Council of Bishops published In Defense of Creation, the nuclear crisis, and a just peace. In 2004, they were asked to release an updated document, which led to the creation of a pastoral letter and study guide published in 2009 with the title, God's Renewed Creation, Call to Hope and Action. I would encourage you to look up the letter and read it in its entirety, but this morning I want to share with you just a few of the pledges that the bishops of the United Methodist Church made as faith leaders seeking to honor the promise of God's new creation. Pledge number three reads, we pledge to practice dialogue with those whose life experience differs dramatically from our own, and we pledge to practice prayerful self-examination. For example, in the Council of Bishops, the 50 active bishops in the United States are committed to listening and learning with the 19 active bishops in Africa, Asia, and Europe, and the bishops representing the conferences in the United States will prayerfully examine the fact that their nation consumes more than its fair share of the world's resources, generates the most waste, and produces the most weapons. Pledge number six states, we pledge to measure the carbon footprint of our Episcopal and denominational offices, determine how to reduce it, and implement those changes. We will urge our congregations, schools, and settings of ministry to do the same. And pledge number seven declares, we pledge to provide, to the best of our ability, the resources needed by our conferences to reduce dramatically our collective exploitation of the planet, peoples, and communities, including technical assistance with buildings and programs, education and training, and young people's and online networking resources. Now, obviously, the bishops have a different level of influence within the church and the world than most of us do but we can join them in their efforts to faithfully honor God's work of new creation. We can all evaluate the places in our lives where we generate unnecessary waste. We can all take stock of how our behaviors contribute to environmental degradation. We can all do a better job of listening to those on the margins of global society whose lives are most directly affected by climate change. And we can all be open to
to learning more about our own behaviors as individuals and as a society. So that is my invitation to you this morning. Celebrate the new heavens and the new earth. Be glad that we are witnessing God's new creation around us every day. And let us grow and challenge ourselves to be better, more faithful co-creators with God. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Creator God, let us celebrate the creation of a new heavens and a new earth. Let us work alongside you in your kingdom. Make us faithful stewards of your resources. Give us humble hearts that are filled with love for every plant, rock, and creature. Amen.